So uh, we're going we're gonna to continue our series that we've been in on uh, power and authority, which Wally's been walking you through, and we're going to be continuing our walk through Matthew. So we've been in kind of a year of Matthew, and that's been broken up into little series, and this last one has been power and authority. And so we're in Matthew chapter 23 today. Uh, we're going to hit the whole chapter. It's a long chapter. Uh, I am not going to dig into every single verse because we would be here all day. Uh, I'm going to kind of give an over overview of, I think, what's going on in this passage and what Jesus is kind of pointing out. So if you have a Bible or a phone that you pull it up on, otherwise the, the words will come up on the screen. We're going to jump right into the scripture to, to start um, this morning. So start Matthew 23, chapter 1. It goes like this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's the first part of the passage, and we'll jump into the next part uh, in a little bit. We get about halfway through. We've been talking in the last five weeks about power and authority, and um, we all have power and authority in our lives of different types, right? We have parents, teachers, lawmakers, politicians, pastors, police, superintendents, bosses, all kinds of authority figures in our life, right? Some official, maybe some unofficial, and normally, normally, we expect authority figures to have our best interests in mind, right? Like we trust them because we give them authority and then we ask them to lead us and we want to follow them. But we know that power corrupts, right? And we see that throughout the scriptures, but we also see that uh, in our lives. I think about, so I'm 50 now. I was actually thinking about, I didn't think about this before, but you said a family of churches and then you said I was the senior pastor and I was like, well, what does that make me? Am I like the... Not old enough to be a grandpa yet, but anyway, grandpa of the family. Anyway, <laughs> but then I read here, it says, don't call anyone father. So I'm not father or grandfather, so we're not going to do that. Um, but uh, anyway, I was thinking about, so I'm 50 now, get back on track here. Uh, I'm 50 now, and I'm thinking just back on my life, and uh, you know, I'm not that old, but I've been around a while, and I don't remember a time in which there was so much skepticism about authority or about authorities, right? Um, you know, when I grew up, I guess it was, you know, life was just a little different. Uh, I can't remember anybody questioning their doctor when I was young, you know? I can't remember the kind of things we say about other leaders these days, uh, about different kinds of authorities. Um, you probably would guess and know that as a senior pastor of Harbor over the last couple of years, I've gotten a few emails that weren't very nice. Um, and I mean, that's okay. I'll deal with that. But authority has shifted in our culture in some interesting ways, right? Um, we don't just give authority easily anymore, and, and we probably shouldn't. 
Um, maybe we shouldn't have done that in the past either. But there's a lot of skepticism, and I don't know if you know the word hermeneutic, if, if Wally's ever used that word hermeneutic before. Hermeneutic just means the, the, the lenses. I keep taking my glasses on and off because I turned 50 and now I can't see that far anymore. So, um, but hermeneutic is lenses, right? We all read the Bible with a hermeneutic. We read it with many hermeneutics. We read all kinds of, we read the world, we read other people's actions, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and what I've recognized is that many of us walk in the world with a hermeneutic of suspicion right now, right? Everybody we meet is suspicious, right? Especially if you're an authority figure, you have some kind of suspicion. And yet at the same time, we give credence to certain people. And think about that word a minute. We don't use that word probably a lot. I don't know when the last time you used the word credence was, unless you're like an old Credence Clearwater Revival fan, you know, which I am, right? But credence comes from the word creed, which means I believe, right? You know, we have creeds. We give credence, we give belief, right? We give authority over to certain people. And so we have this sort of interest... I'm gonna do a little cultural analysis here a minute, right? Like as I watch our culture right now, I see that we have high suspicion for some people and we have almost unquestioning credence given to other people. And it's like we don't apply the same standards to, pe to different authority figures, but there's certainly something, there's something weird going on with authority and power, isn't there? Um, and in the days of Jesus, if you haven't learned this already over the last uh, several weeks, you hopefully will see it again here, Power and authority had its issues of the day too. I, I imagine, I haven't listened to all of Wally's sermons because um, I can't listen to everybody's sermons, but um, I'm sure that he's talked to you about, nod your head if this is true, has he talked to you about Sadducees and priests and Herodians and Romans and Zealots and Essenes and Pharisees? He's introduced you to the characters, right? Each of these characters has authority in different kinds of ways. Religious, religious authority, financial authority, military authority, or power, you know, and so, so power was definitely a thing in the time, and you had all of these different groups, and you kind of gave credence, or you gave allegiance uh, to one of these different groups, and one of those groups is the Pharisees, which show up again in this passage. In fact, the Pharisees show up a lot. Uh, I, I just mentioned a whole bunch of different groups. The Pharisees show up the most of those groups in the, in the Bible, especially in the words of Jesus. Jesus seems to challenge the Pharisees a lot. And it's interesting because if Jesus fits in a group, which he kind of does, guess which group it is? It's the Pharisees group, right? They're the rabbis. Um, in fact, it, we have another person who's a major figure in the New Testament. Well, you have Peter and then you have the other one, right? Paul. Paul was also a Pharisee. He calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like, I was the best Pharisee of all, man. You know, so Jesus is a Pharisee. Paul's a Pharisee. And yet Jesus has the hardest words for the Pharisees, which I think is interesting. Um, in fact, if we're in a group... Uh, so you can kind of describe these different groups according to their characteristics and the things they believed. I don't know all of you, but most of us, I would think kind of in our, you know, in our churches, most of us would fit in that pharisaical uh, kind of group if we had to pick one. It would be the closest to me, I would say. Maybe, maybe close to you, I don't know. Feels that way to me. So anyway, Jesus talks here. I'm gonna pull a couple things out of it because there's so much in here, but I mean, just pull a few things out to get at the, the thing that I, I'm thinking God is speaking to us this morning. The first is that Jesus says this. He says, they sit in Moses' seat. 
They sit in Moses' seat. And maybe you don't know what Moses' seat. I want to talk about that a little bit. It's a stone seat in the synagogue. Um, and it's a place where, as a rabbi, you would sit and you would, you're nodding. Did you see a Moses seat when you were in Israel? Okay, that's what I guessed, right? So it's a seat in the synagogue that you would sit. It's a seat of authority. It's like the judge's seat, right? Or it's the, and it's the place where you would read the scriptures from. So here's a picture of, this is not a Moses seat, but it's kind of a Moses seat. <laughs> uh, this is, so we have church planters all around the world that we're connected with. And um, one of those places, not in Nepal, Nepal does not look like this. Um, this is actually in Hungary. In, in a city called Debrecen, which is kind of the center of, of some reformed Protestant stuff in, um, in Europe. And this is the great church. It's actually a reformed church. Uh, and if you didn't know this, Harbor Church is, is a part of the reformed church, by the way. Um, they're a part of the reformed church, brothers and sisters of ours. This is the great church in Debrecen. It's a big, huge church. And you go into it, and I'm going to just point it out here. This right here is the pulpit. So like, you know, if you're the pastor, you go back into the little room and you go up this little stairway and you go up and then you come out and you come out above everybody else, right? Now, some of you, if you grew up in Reformed, CRC, maybe even Lutheran churches, Presbyterian churches, uh, a lot of them have scenarios like this, right? Like where you, the pastor goes up into this thing and is up above everybody. It's kind of like the Moses seat. It's a position of authority above everyone else, right? Um, again, when I grew up... Um, pastors had a sort of like authority to them. Uh, I don't feel that as much anymore. <laughs> and I think it's actually a good thing. And we've talked about that a lot as pastors in Harbor. You know, we've said we are just uh, one among equals with a particular kind of gift and calling, right? We as pastors are called to spend probably a more amount of time studying, understanding culture and scripture, and then trying to come before you and say, like, here's what I'm sensing God's saying to us. What do you think, right? And we're wrestling with that together. So kind of a first among equals kind of a thing, but definitely equals. Not in the old sense of like a dominee or whatever, right, who gets up in the pulpit and speaks from up above. But that's kind of what the Moses seat was, right? Uh, but the idea was that we're actually uh, equals, but when you sit in Moses' seat, you take on a kind of authority that's not yours, right? The community gives you authority. The scripture gives you authority. The seat itself in the synagogue gives you authority. And by the way, when Jesus uh, reads the Isaiah scroll, he's sitting in Moses' seat. It's his turn, right? And so they would take turns actually sitting in it. So it wouldn't be like one person every week up preaching. It'd be like, okay, your turn next week, your turn the week after that, your week after that. You know, you sit in Moses' seat and you, be, you, you become an equal who's elevated, right? So power is given to you. It's not something that you just have inherently because of position, not even in uh, in Moses' seat, but what Jesus is saying there is they sit in Moses' seat, so listen to them because when they sit there, they're reading the scriptures, right? And they're trying to read the scriptures and they're trying to unpack it and they're trying to understand it and they're trying to share with you what they think God is saying in that passage. It's not all that different than what I'm doing this morning, right? I'm sitting in Moses' seat this morning and you should listen. Not because of who I am, but because we've created an environment as a community in which we've asked a person to spend time with the scriptures and to come and to share that, right? And so I think Jesus is saying here, you should listen because I speak through that, right? I work through that. 
And yet there's something wrong with the people who are sitting in Moses' seat. There are two things specifically that Jesus talks about that he's warning them about. First one is this. He says they don't practice what they preach. They don't practice what they preach. So he says be careful. Do what they say to do. Like listen to the word, right? Pay attention to the word. But when you're seeing them being hypocrites and they're not doing what they say they're doing, be careful because they may be leading you astray. Right? And so Jesus is trying to help them see that when authority is conferred, when authority is, when we give credence to someone, be careful because that authority can easily get mixed and it can move away from the scriptures and what God wants to say into what that person wants and their self-interest. Right? And so Jesus recognizes specifically with the Pharisees of the time, and I don't know all the things that were going on with them, but he's saying, hey, they're reading the scriptures and they're trying to stay faithful to the scriptures, but what they're actually doing is they're turning it somehow towards themselves, and they're putting burdens on other people, burdens they don't even take on themselves. That's the first thing. The second thing they do is they do, everything they do is done for people to see. Now, you don't know what that's like, right? None of us have ever done that, right? I mean, I don't think about what I wear every time I preach, do I? Yes, I do, right? Like, we, this is normal humanity, right? We think about what other people think of us, and that can take off in ways that are we want to do that in some ways, but it can be damaging in other ways, right? I mean, if you were ever a teenager, right, or you've ever had a teenager, you know, you, you want your kids to fit in, and then there's a point where you're like, okay, hold the phone a minute, right? Like, we're, we're going to back off a little bit. This is, becoming too, this is becoming too attached to your identity. Well, Jesus is saying with the Pharisees, they were worried way too much about what people were thinking about them. And everything was done for everybody else to see. And so he mentions all kinds of things that Wally would get into, but I'm not going to, like phylacteries and tassels. So the tassels are prayer tassels. The phylacteries are scriptures that are in a little roll and they're attached uh, to them. And if you remember in Deuteronomy 6, it says attach it to your forehead and bind it. You know, th- th- those are phylacteries. It's like actually wearing the scripture. Well, they would wear the scripture in ways that everybody would see, right? I wonder if it's like the Christian t-shirt, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear this thing so everybody knows how great a Christian I am, right? I mean, there's some connections here with all this stuff, right? I'm going to bring the biggest Bible I can and carry that thing around so everybody knows that I, that I carry my Bible. But Jesus warns them with the Pharisees, don't do what they do, do what they tell you. Do what the Word says and be careful, especially when the power gets attached to their identity. And then Jesus says this, I love this phrase. And we're going to come back to this, because I think this is the core of the passage this morning. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the Pharisees don't do what they teach, and they do everything for people to see, right? That's not a place of humility, is it? I'm going to put myself out there so everybody sees what I do, right? Remember the story when Jesus was talking about the people praying in public, And he says, pray in private, right? That person is praying for everyone to see. That's that kind of a story. Again, a Pharisee in that story. They're worried about their position and their power and their popularity rather than giving the word to the people. So let me just uh, talk about trusted leaders for a minute. Um, I want you to think about some, I want you to think about your feelings for a minute, okay? Let's go to the feeling place. 
My counselor's funny on this. I, you know, he always asks me, how do you feel about that? And I'll answer, he'll say, that's a thinking word, right? What do you feel? So I want you to, I want you to try to get in touch with your feelings a minute. How does it feel when a leader uses power for the wrong purposes? How does that feel to you? Can you think of a time? Uh, maybe not a, per, you've got one, don't you? Yeah, he's telling his mom, that's good. Uh, there, there, he was going to tell me, but uh, can you think of a time, and, and not something out there, but like something in your life, somebody in your life who has used power inappropriately, either because they want to be seen or because they have self-interest in place. Someone who uses their position, their influence, and instead of using it for good, they turn it and use it for some other purpose it wasn't intended. Never happens, right? Yeah, we've all been, we've all been victims of that in some ways, right? Uh, maybe on large scale, maybe on a close and intimate scale. A person who maybe uses their influence, um, they're not even thinking about the damage that it does to you or to somebody else. They're just thinking all about themselves and how they look and how they're presenting to somebody else. Well, when those things happen, when power is used for the wrong reasons, for self-interest or for people to, to look at them, those kind of things, when that's violated, we have feelings of betrayal, don't we? Right? Well, you, were, you were supposed to be good. You were supposed to help me, right? And instead, you hurt me. And that creates broken trust, right? And if you've had broken trust, which you have in a relationship, now... Which hermeneutic do you put on, right? You put back on your hermeneutic of suspicion because it's difficult to trust because betrayal and broken trust hurts and that hurt creates boundaries and then we protect ourselves and then we build walls and we hide behind those walls and now we're suspicious of other people and so we become skeptical and it's really hard to, to give over that trust and, it, and it's unwise sometimes to give over that trust, right? Uh, trust, we say, is earned. It's earned by consistency and by faithfulness and, and by goodness. Pay attention to this because it matters to Jesus a ton here. Jesus recognizes that the Pharisees have broken trust with the people they're supposed to lead. They were only allowed to sit in Moses' seat. They were only called rabbi. They were only allowed to be leaders because they were leading people towards goodness, Right? And Jesus is frustrated because the very people who are supposed to do the most good for him in his message are the very people who are turning people in a different direction. You got that? The very people who are supposed to do the most good have now turned in a different direction. Now, we could talk about all kinds of things from politics to whatever in that, but let's just talk about Christians in the church. What happens when the church that is supposed to be God's voice in the world, God's hands and feet in the world, what happens when we break trust and we shift because we're concerned about what other people think of us and how they see us, or we're concerned about our own self-interest and our own power? That's what Jesus is frustrated here. You see, there was in the Old Testament, Jesus makes a covenant. He makes a um, commitment, right? He makes a commitment with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, and I know while he's preached on this at different times, it's a really important story in the Old Testament. And if you don't know it, you can go back and read this in Genesis. Uh, God makes this covenant relationship with Abraham. He says, I'll be your God. I'll lead you. You be my people. You follow me. 
And then through that relationship, if you do that well, we'll bless all nations, right? You see what God is, God is conferring a kind of power on Abraham. You're going to be the one, you, your family, like you're going to be the ones through which I'm going to reach the world. And that covenant gets renewed over and over and over again. Moses, again, um, is one of the times when God renews that covenant, with, not just with Moses, but with the people of Israel who are the descendants of Abraham. And he goes back, God goes back to the people and says, okay, I'm going to save you and I'm going to be your God. But you, you follow me and you trust me, right? And then the people are supposed to reach the nations. I will bless you and then you will be the people through whom I'll reach the nations. And over and over and over and over again in, in the Old Testament, the people don't do their job. The people end up worrying about how they look to the surrounding nations or the other people, or they take the power for their own self-interest. It's the same, what's happening with the Pharisees is the same thing that's happened all throughout the Old Testament. It's like a pattern, you know? It's like God calls someone and says, will you be my people? Yeah. Will, will you help me reach the nations? Yeah. Okay, and then, nope, that didn't work. Okay, we're going to try it again. Will you be my people? Will you be my king? You know, will you lead and will you? Yes, okay, good. Nope. Will you be, and, and finally, finally God sends Jesus, right? But the, Jesus comes and he interacts with these Pharisees, again, who are the people in power. And Jesus pushes back on the Pharisees and he lets them know where they're off the path again, just like Israel was off the path, just like the kings were off the path, just like the judges had gotten off the path, just like every time over and over the people had gotten off the path. And so I think in this passage, again, I, I, I can't tell you what Jesus felt, but I can get in the story and think, I wonder what Jesus felt and kind of put myself, I think Jesus is really frustrated. How many times have we been through this? You guys, you guys know the scriptures, you know the stories, and you're supposed to be the people leading again. Doggone it, you're off track again. <laughs> I can imagine if I'm Jesus in that moment, um, I'm pretty frustrated, right? Because I've told you this is the way, I've told you this is the way, and you keep going the wrong way. They've, uh, in a sense, taken the good things that they've been given and used it for some other purpose. Uh, I love this. There's a, um, I'm reading a book now, right now called The Good and Beautiful and Kind by Rich, Rich Velotis, Velotis. I don't know how you say his name, Rich Velotis. Um, and he, I came across this quote, which reminded me for this sermon. He said this, uh, at its core, sin is a failure to love. It's a power that curves us inward. In the words of North African Bishop St. Augustine, humanity is incurvatus in se, curved in on itself. Humanity suffers from a severe condition. No matter if our physical eyes may be able to gaze upward, our spiritual vision tends to curve horribly in on itself. And with this stunting self-focus of our attention, we cut out love. I think that's what Jesus is frustrated in this passage about. The Pharisees have become inconvertus se. The Pharisees have curved in on themselves. They see the power and they hold it close. They worry about what other people think of them and they pay attention to that. They've focused inward rather than outward on the people they're supposed to love, the people that Jesus came because he loves, the people that God had said he was going to reach. So let me make, a, um, an, I think, an important claim that comes out of this passage. The pathways that we follow shape us. Pathways that we follow shape us. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, God says, I, I put before you two paths. It's in exact words, but it's very close. I put before you two paths today. One leads to life, one leads to death. 
Choose life. And what does Israel do almost all the time? Chooses death. The pathway that we take shapes us, right? Do we take the, do we take the pathway that Jesus is calling us on or do we end up taking the pathway of self-interest and concern about ourselves? Jesus sees, I think, that the people turn. The second piece that comes off of that uh, is this. Uh, the pathways we follow impact those who follow us. Right? That's even worse. Like, I can go down the wrong path. And those are your parents, you get this, you know, like sometimes you've gone down a wrong path and then you turn around and guess who's following you? Your kids. You've gone down the path of anger. You've gone down the path of unforgiveness. You've gone down the path of bitterness. Uh, and you know, I don't know what it is. You've gone down the path that leads to death and you're not there alone because people are following you. And if you've been given credence by someone, if you've been given power by someone, if you've been given authority by someone, uh, or many people, now suddenly many people are walking down the wrong path. See, this is what Jesus is angry about. The Pharisees have been given this kind of power and authority and credence, and they're leading people down the wrong path. And so Jesus here is playing the role of prophet. Now, Prophet is confusing in our times. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. I've met lots of people <laughs> lately, uh, including in our churches, who have their own personal prophet. Maybe you've met some of these, right? And they'll often come to me and say, well, the prophet I follow on YouTube says, and I think, huh, boy, authority and power and trust and you know, like we've given credence to people we don't even know that we follow on YouTube who we become our prophets, right? And those prophets tend to be predictors of the future. That is not at all, well, it's kind of, but not really what the scripture is talking about with prophets. Prophets are not predictors of the future, that this is going to happen. Prophets are those who say, if, remember my path analogy? This path, that path? Prophets are doing this. If you go this path, it will end up there. If you go this path, it will end up there. Prophets are always giving you an if-then statement. They're telling you the future if you are on a particular path. And the word repentance, which means to turn, the prophet is always saying, repent today and you will live, right? That's what John the Baptist was saying and Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, all, Hosea. They're all saying repent because what they're saying is you're going down the wrong path. And you know what? If you continue on this path, this is what's going to happen to you. And so repent, turn the direction and go a different way. Now let me just show hands. How many of you like that kind of prophet in your life? Sometimes, Right? Often not, because the truth is hard to hear, isn't it, right? Now, blessed are the wounds of a friend. If you have a prophetic friend that you can trust, that you don't have, you know, you're not afraid of and you don't have a hermeneutic suspicion about, and they can tell you, hey, Tom, I've been watching you lately, and I've watched that you're, the fuse for your anger is very short, and I'm concerned about you because I'm wondering where that's coming from, Right? Blessed are the wounds of that friend. That prophet is telling me, if you walk down that path of anger, there are some things that are going to happen, right? But often we don't like those prophets in our life. Jesus is playing the role of prophet here. Now, we're going to read a long section, the next section of the scripture, and this is a part where people uh, often will read this and say, Jesus is angry. I actually have wrestled with this passage all week, and I, I don't think Jesus is angry. 
Um, not in the, like, I don't think he's over angry. Right? Like, I don't think he's lost it angry. He's angry in the way that he's sad angry. Do you know what that means? Like, lament angry? Like, this is not the way it's supposed to be angry. Like, my kid is in the hospital angry. Like, um, this person got in a car accident and, um, and now their life is on the edge angry. It's that kind of angry. It's this sad lament about not the way it's supposed to be angry. And if you just read it from the surface level, it seems like he's being kind of a jerk. <laughs> I don't think he is. But I'm going to read it from the context. Think about this. From the context of Jesus saying, you were supposed to lead people here. And you're not leading them there. You're leading them here. And Jesus is trying to get them to wake up. I, one of my favorite uh, philosophers is Kierkegaard. And Kierkegaard calls prophecy like a, like a stiff kick in the rear. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's trying to get the Pharisees to wake up to what they're doing. Okay, so I'm going to read it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. The path, right? You yourselves do not enter, nor you let those who are trying to enter trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and then when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are, right? You're teaching people the wrong path. Come on, man. Woe to you, blind guides. Again, you're taking people down the wrong path, right? You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men. So now, we could dig into all of that. There's a whole bunch of interesting stuff there. We don't even know what Jesus is saying right now on that, so we're just gonna kind of skip over that. Don't have time this morning. But notice again, you blind men, you're, you're telling people something that doesn't, that's not right, okay? Again, you blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it, and anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Okay, done with that one. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. See what's going on here, right? Like you care about all this stuff, but God cares about this stuff. You've got people on the wrong path again. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Oh my goodness, am I frustrated with you. Right? Do you see where Jesus, he's, he's trying to wake him up, Right? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Again, you're worried about how people see you, but the inside of you has turned inward in curvatus se. Inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the outside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of the ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. He's being facetious there. You snakes, you brood of vipers. 
How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, okay, I just need to stop there. How will you escape being condemned to hell? You see what Jesus is saying? He's being prophetic here in the Old Testament sense. If you continue on this path, you are entering hell today. Remember, and while he's taught you this, hell, hell and heaven aren't something just out there. They're things you're participating right now. Today I set before you life and death, therefore choose life. When you choose life, you step into the kingdom of heaven. When you choose death, you step into hell. Jesus understands that and he says, you've already walked down the path to hell. How will you escape an eternity there? Therefore I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them will, you will kill and crucify. Others you'll flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias and of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all of this will come on this generation because you're walking down the wrong path. Do you see what he's doing? It's long, I know. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. You see Jesus' heart at the very end? Jesus goes, I see all your children walking down the wrong path. I see you already way down there, how I long to gather those children and bring them back and bring them the right way. But instead, those of us who come in the name of the Lord as prophets and teachers and sages, you kill us. Now remember, this is in the last week of Jesus' life. Just let that sink for a minute, right? He knows, I'm guessing, I don't know how much knowledge Jesus had, you know, what was happening, how much that was limited, but he knows something's happening and he's going to be killed. And Jesus spends this time challenging him, says, come back, come back. It's kind of like when the GPS yells at you. You ever have this, right? You, you miss the intersection, and then the GPS says, recalculating, recalculating, I gotta get you back on the path. That's what the Jesus is doing here, right? You read this, and it's seven woes, and they're strong, and it's strong language. Like, I don't wanna listen to that, because we don't love the prophets. We kill the prophets. But they're just like a GPS trying to get us back on course, back on the path that we're supposed to be on. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap up here. And I want to ask this question, because here's what's at risk. Here's what's at risk. The gospel is at risk. The gospel's at risk. Whose gospel is this, and is it good news? You see, Jesus interacts with the Pharisees, and he, he sees a different gospel. Now, they, we could talk about all the things that they're saying about altars and gold and, you know, phylacteries and tassels and prayers and you know all the things that they they had sat in Moses' seat, took the law, and they said, the law tells us this. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The law tells you love. The gospel is a gospel of love and grace and mercy and righteousness and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and joy and beauty and all of these things, right? And you've turned it into something else. The gospel is at risk when people in authority lead us down the wrong paths. A.W. Tozer, spiritual writer, says it this way. He says, our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Things, right? Anything. Idols, ourselves, how people look at us. Within the human heart, things have taken over. 
Men have now by nature no peace within their hearts, for God is crowned there no longer. But there, in the moral dusk, stubborn and aggressive usurpers fight among themselves for first place on the throne. You see, for the Pharisees, God was no longer on the throne of their hearts. Other things got onto the throne of their hearts. Other things got on the throne. So it's a good question for us to ask this morning. Who is on the throne of your heart? I want to end with one other scripture. Um, it comes from Luke chapter 6, because this is a, there are seven major woes here in, in Matthew 23. And if you ask where, where are there some other woes, you can go back to Luke 6. And in Luke, uh, Jesus shares the, the Beatitudes, the blessed bees, right? And after the blessed bees, then he flips to woes, right? Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And then at the end of the woe to you, he says this, and I think this is key to the beginning of what we talked about today. He says this, Luke 6, uh, I cut a couple pieces out. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks of you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. That's a description of love, isn't it? That's the gospel. Follow the way of Jesus. Which again is not louder, stronger, more insistence on being right, more insistence on our righteousness, making everybody look at us, filling people with things on their shoulders that they have to carry out. But no, Jesus says this in the beginning of our passage again, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. So a couple questions to end with this morning is which Jesus are you following? Which Jesus are you following? The, the, the Jesus that we're told is a Jesus who leads us down a path that's not the path of the gospel in the scriptures? Or the actual Jesus who came and said, love one another. Love one another. Be merciful to one another. Follow the, the way of life. Um, well, who are you following is the last question. Who are you following? What path are they on? Here's my kind of closing is um, be careful who you follow. Be careful who you follow. There are lots of Jesuses out there right now. I think I actually... Two times ago when I preached here, I talked about different kinds of Jesus and the Jesus aisle, right? Good buddy Jesus and militant Jesus and, you know, all the different Jesuses. Be careful what Jesus you follow right now. There are lots of people like me standing in pulpits like this, tables, whatever this is, um, that are on YouTube, um, that are on Twitter, that are, be careful who you follow. Be careful who you give credence to. Because there are only two ways. There's the way to life, Jesus' way, that aligns with the gospel that Jesus spoke. And then there are all kinds of other versions of other ways. And especially, I think, in this day and age, be careful of those who lay heavy burdens on and of those who are very concerned about people looking at them. That's what Jesus says about the Pharisees, right? They lay burdens on, they use their power inappropriately, and they're really concerned about what other people think of them. Watch out for that. The yeast of the Pharisees gets into the bread and affects the whole thing.
What gospel are you following? What Jesus are you following? Who are the people you give credence to? I'm not telling you to wear a hermeneutic of suspicion, but I am asking you to look at Jesus first, the author and perfecter of your faith, and to go to the scriptures and to hear his words and to try to follow his way. And it's really important to do that as a community. We don't do that alone. That's why we do this, right? That's why we do New One Wednesdays, because we get around the scriptures and we say, we do this together. Tom doesn't tell you, Wally doesn't tell you, we're not authorities on the scripture. We're just one among you who spend maybe a little more time and have had some education on it. But we, together, listen to the Spirit and try to follow Jesus as best we can. That's my challenge to you this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the word. We thank you for um, the corrective words of Jesus, even if they're hard to hear. Father, we pray that you would help us to hear your sweet and sometimes subtle voice before we hear your strong and angry and frustrated voice. God, would we hear your sweet and subtle voice and turn and repent and pursue your way, the true gospel of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and righteousness. God, would we hear that? And, and, and Father, if, if we're marching down a path to destruction, if we are leading others down the wrong path, God, would you send somebody in our life who can give us that swift kick and wake us up so that we can repent. And so, Father, we do, we repent this morning together. We confess that we are blind. We confess that we are in curvatisse because sin has affected us. And so, God, we confess this morning that we often get on the wrong path and we often lead others astray. And we pray, God, that you would teach us, help us to lead, to be humble, to submit ourselves to your lordship, to kick everything and anything and anyone off the throne of our hearts except for you, and that you would truly be the Lord of our lives. We thank you and we bless you in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our Lord. And all God's people said,